Hey everyone, welcome into a Thursday episode here of Mackie and Judd. It'll include scoops with Doogie, a farewell to a 25-year run by Burt Blylevin, and breaking a Twins game down like it is a football, football. game. After a quick shout-out to Federated, Federated Mutual Insurance Company has been uh, one of our partners here at Score North for quite a while, even going back to 1500 ESPN days on Mackie and Judd. And if you're a business owner out there, Federated is here to help you navigate the challenges during this pandemic year and in any other non-pandemic year as well. When you partner with Federated, you get more than just a policy. You benefit from over a century of experience in making businesses as successful as they can be. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. And welcome in to the show, Phil Mackie, your pilot, and your producer, Judd Zilgad. There's turbulence. There are random buttons over here that I don't know what they do. Yep. And uh, do you know how God to take off? All. Do you know how to take the plane and put it in the air? Um, put I the big bird in the air. Think, do you know how to do it? Think we're in the air? Because once you get in the air, I really we're don't care air. what happens. Then, as long as you can land it, I don't care. Pretty sure we're in the air right now, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. How, how many engines do we have on this puppy? Mm, this mixing board's about thirty years old, so I think it's a propeller only. Oh, I don't. I like think this. it's. I think it's a propeller. I don't like only. this. I don't like propellers. <laughs> I've never liked propellers. I've flown on a on a plane with a <laughs> propeller once, and I didn't like it one bit. You know, I uh, my wife girlfriend at the time she got me one of those at like Flying Cloud, where you go up in a small plane and you just like go over like the lakes and see all the mansions and stuff, and it was ama- It was super fun. I got nauseous though. I like almost. Threw I, could, it. I wouldn't do it. I I couldn't do a small plane. Hmm. So, I'm sorry, did you say this was before you got married or? This is like the first year we were dating. Did she go up in it with you? She did. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, if she didn't didn't and you were married and had a life insurance policy, (laughs) I'd be very concerned about her motivation. Yeah, why don't you you go up there? It's a helicopter. It'll be fine. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fantastic. I just upped your life insurance. Bye. So speaking of planes, last yeah. night Fox Sports North landed the Burp Lilevin plane after 25 years. <laughs> and so did the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, 25 years of, of the Dick and Burt era. And yeah. so let's start there. We will break down last night's Twins game like it is a football game, too. Um, and we'll get to some scoops of Doogie. But I know that in recent years, I and we have poked at Burt because he loves to read out of the media guide and he's not... Him and Jack Morris aren't providing the same level of analysis as like Roy Smalley and Justin Morneau. Yeah, those guys have, have just become better for my money, just like better well, analysts. And Justin's more plugged in because he played more recently and knows way more about the game circa 2020. Yep. And when Burt came in in 1995 or, or yeah. 1996, like he he was recently retired. You know, he had played with the Angels, right? I think in the early 1990s. Yep. Correct. Um, but so all of that is not to like. Yeah, I, the last few years, I'm a Justin Morneau guy. I'm a Roy Smalley guy. But my generation of Twins fans who really doesn't remember the 87 World Series and 91 World Series, like we grew up on Burt as a broadcaster. We grew up on the Circle Me Burt era and the Dick and Burt era of the resurgent early 2000s Twins. And so last night was a I, I didn't really get teary eyed. Like I do get teary eyed much more easily now than I would have 10 years ago. I didn't really get super emotional because Burt didn't make it emotional. Burt was just like, all right, well. That's a that's a wrap, and he he got 
a little bit choked up a couple times, but at the end of the game, he basically just we said... We gave him a round of applause from the press box. Okay. We I gave s- him a nice round of applause when he signed off. Good. Um, but I, I think it just signifies the end of a really, really... Um, I don't know like what the word would be, but it's an, it's an era of Twins baseball that is stamped by Dick and Burt for 25 years. And it came to an end last night. Yeah, and it, so I, I got some notes um, about, like, is this really sudden? It's not. So... Burt was going to work a package of, I think it was like 35 games or, or something like that before the COVID struck in 2020. And uh, from what I heard, the Twins had had actual discussions about Burt, this being his last year, last winter. Well, then the COVID hit and we were down to a 60-game uh, season. And so the Fox Sports North analyst package got divvied up into a small into smaller portions of pie. And so I think that last night, I believe this was true, was supposed to be Burt's last game of the season. And they hadn't announced that. And I don't think that we knew from the outside that that was definitely the case. And so when Burt tweeted that this is going to be my last game tonight, a lot of people were surprised by it. Yeah. But this was a change that the Twins and Fox Sports North have been planning for quite some time. Going back now, what, Phil, four years to when Burt's schedule started to get cut down yes. smaller and smaller and smaller. There have been, and, and you so, have intel, I have intel as well, that they, they have been massaging this for a number of years. I just don't, I don't want the fans to think that Burt got booted out the door last night because the reality is the lead up to this change is probably four to five years old. But it's obvious in the way that like Mike Golick getting sort of squeezed out of ESPN radio, he's been very open in saying, I didn't want this. My career's not over. I'm op- my contract's up at the end of the year. Uh, Bert, even though Bert's in his seventies now, right? Bert's course, sixty-nine years old. Okay, so he's about to be seventy. Sixty-nine years old, born on I'm sorry. <laughs> he's six foot, I, that six was foot un, one. That was unnecessary. He drafted cheap by the shot. twins in World Series champion in nineteen eighty seven, traded to the uh, traded to the Texas Rangers in 1976 <laughs> during the season. Yes, go ahead, Phil. But he clearly didn't want this. Like, he did not want to... He wanted to continue broadcasting baseball games for Fox Sports North. In fact, he said, yes. In fact, he said last night exactly that. Um, I, I believe that he had a small press conference before I got there last night, and I saw the quote in John Shipley's piece about this in the Pioneer Press where he said, uh, I am not retiring from broadcasting. And, and the Twins also made it very clear that he's going to stay on as a consultant or an assistant of some sort. Um, which they've done with a bunch of uh, former players now. But Burt did say flat out, I'm not retiring from broadcasting. If something else comes up, I'll take it. So he might go somewhere else, Pittsburgh, or where are some of the other teams he played for? The Angels. Yeah. He he lives in he lives in Fort Myers now, so I guess the most convenient thing would, would be something in Florida. I guess, my, I guess my question is this. This is going to sound sort of harsh, and I don't mean it to be harsh, but I guess my question about a guy like Burt is this. What does Burt Blylevin bring to a booth in 2020? Like a lot has changed here. The I and I covered I covered firsthand doing the TV radio sports column back in the day, Mr. Mackey, uh, the 2002 Circle Me Burt Phenom. Like I did an A1 story about that. Circle the Circle Me Burt Phenom is one of the most amazing local broadcast stories in terms of just like connecting with an but audience. Can can we talk about the fact? You're right. So I'm going to first of all say that you are exactly correct. But can we talk about the fact that if you put the pieces of Circle Me Burt together, it might summarize Bly Levin's time as an analyst perfectly. And here's why. 
he literally took a device, the Telestrator, <laughs> that is meant to be like, okay, here's what the first baseman's supposed to be doing, or here's where he's supposed to be, right? Or here's the pitcher's mechanics, right? He literally took a device that you're supposed to um, go through and articulate the breakdown of something that you know that the fan doesn't know, and he made it into a, and good for him, I'm giving him plaudits for this, he made it into a, a phenom by circling fans in the stands. Right, and I and I commend him for that. I like, do too, that's what I'm saying. I'm not criticizing him, I'm just saying, th- that was Burt. See, I think he deserves so much credit for captivating casual fans. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it was the hardcore baseball wonk fans, the geeks like me and you, that wanted more why. Like when Tom Kelly would come on five years ago and start talking about diamond cutters and all these different phrases and... And he was basically just monotone for three hours. But if you listened, Tom Kelly was teaching you an encyclopedia's worth of baseball. Justin Morneau, who's become a little bit more of a personality. I think he was a little bit more dry at first. He's not nearly the personality that Burt Blylevin was at his peak. Mm-hmm. Justin Morneau is going to tell you, if you're a baseball geek, he's going to fulfill that need for you. Burt never gave you that. And I'm and I'm not even like, I'm I'm ripping it a little bit from my perspective, but from like, his job as an analyst to build a connection with casual Twins fan, yes. he was brilliant at it for the better part of 25 years. He was. Were there times in the seventh inning of a tie game in September where I wanted to know more about like what the pitcher was thinking or what the strategy is as opposed to like how many days it is until his birthday or what's in the media guide? Yes. That frustrated me. But he's a legend. He uh, he had a, an amazing quarter century run, and he connected with casual fans better than pretty much anybody. At so. all, and twenty five years is a long time to do anything. And and when Bert started in the booth with Bramer in ninety six, keep in mind too, I think the expectations from that job were different. Like if you put if you brought Harry Carey back now and stuck him in the Cubs booth, I don't know that that style is like this is great. But yeah. in the eighties, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. So, in fairness to Burt, too, he stepped in at a time where where his combination of uh, personality and sort of odd sense of humor at times, I guess, was really effective. And the game, look, as the game of baseball has changed, so I think is the expectation of what the viewer wants. I, Phil, we used to think in the 80s into the 90s, that Tim McCarver was the be-all, end-all of breakdown baseball analysis. And I'm not kidding you. I mean, Tim McCarver did every World Series. Tim McCarver was a huge, huge deal because we thought this is as inside as you will get. There are probably how many analysts now going in baseball who would make McCarver look decent at best. So So Bert began on MSC in 1996 with an expectation that was that was vastly different than where things stand now, and he did a good good job. And also, go back and look as I, I recall throughout ninety, I think it was ninety five into ninety six. It might have been ninety four as well. The Twins were basically audition auditioning analysts for that role. And Tommy he, John, yeah, I think Herbeck did some games. The point being is, Bert went essentially through the audition process. And grabbed it. And so good for Bert. But the job definitely changed. And I think the Twins had the right idea probably by saying it's been a really good run. But the Twins who have been, I think we can all agree on this in various ways, shapes, and forms. The Twins who have been through the years at times too slow to change. This this was a very positive. You've done a great job. Thank you. Goodbye.
Mount Rushmore is easy. It's the cliche Mount Rushmore Sports Talker of the Week with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. That is why I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Those would be my four. All right. What is your, and, I, and, and, and this is out right now on Score North social media, on Score North Facebook and Score North Twitter, S-K-O-R North, if you want to follow us there. Yes. What is your Mount Rushmore, your cliche Mount Rushmore of Minnesota sports analysts? All right. All time. And I want to clarify because yep. when I, I I was reading some of the comments on these social posts, yep, because the graphic had Jim Pete, Bert, Doug Woog, who I'm going to put in this discussion. Ooh, I, I loved I him as the, the Gopher hockey guy. Yeah, he was great. It's and, hilarious. And Trent Tucker um, was on the graphic, and someone said Kevin Harlan is rolling over in his grave. Well, two things: oh. Kevin Harlan's not dead, and, he's, and two, no. he's not an analyst. He's a play-by-play guy. Big difference. Okay, so we're talking in-game. I'm not talking about like your favorite sports talk personality in game radio or TV and not the not the play by play guy, the color commentator guy. Amen. All right. Who's on your mouth? Bert's gotta be on the Mount Rushmore. Twenty five years. It's not on my Mount Rushmore. Sorry. What? Okay. What? The an, the analysts. What? In, Bert's not no. No, no. I should be away. Hot Take Cops is recorded on location with the men and women of Sports Talk. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in Hot Take Court. All right, I'll sit back and listen. If you don't okay. have 25 years of burp, lie, love, and as love you, or hate him on this list. As you pull my car over on 94 and are walking to my car, I just hit the gas and took off. Wow. I'm speeding away. Wow. Okay, so... This is difficult for me because, to your point, this is not play-by-play, guys. This is analysts who have, for one reason or another, made the Mount Rushmore. My George Washington, and this this might surprise you, might not. My George Washington, I think it's Jim Pete. Jim Peterson has he's, turned. He's excellent. Well, and and he's not as he, he wouldn't win a popularity contest with Burp Lylevin the last. 20 no, years. He, but I don't care about that. This is mine. Okay. This is not. This is not the fans. Jim Pete to the backstory on Jim Pete was Jim Pete was not always excellent. He's been doing this for a long time. He transitioned early on, I believe, with the Wolves radio, TV, maybe back to radio and then back to TV. Uh, but Jim Pete worked his ass off to improve. Like Jim Pete got here by working. Jim Pete didn't. He he was not a guy who stepped in and was just bang great. Jim Pete evolved, developed, and now I think I would say he was he is probably just pure guess from me. Top five in the league, right? I don't like local I don't, TV I don't, guy. I don't watch enough of the rest of the league to say that, but he's excellent. I mean, he I just, love him. He, he will just, criticize the team, but he doesn't he do it too insight. harshly. He I tell stories. I feel like he's likable. Yeah, I never feel like he's a jerk. Uh, he tells me he consistently tells me, and th- this is this is where I'm going to start. My Mount Rushmore starts with this question. I feel like I know a lot about sports, but I never played it, and I definitely don't know everything. So. Once or twice a game, I'd like you to tell me something I'm either not yeah. thinking about and seeing yep. or that I just flat out don't know. Which, back to your TK thing, TK told me 20 things a game. I mean, TK TK once got mad at a White Sox outfielder for positioning on a ball that wasn't hit to him. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I think if you're looking at criteria, so my criteria for this Mount Rushmore, I think longevity matters. I think how entertaining you are matters. 
I think how much insight you bring to the table definitely matters. So you t- you seem to weigh insight much more than entertainment value because Tom Kelly's not entertaining no, but in the he, least. He doesn't bit. make my list. Okay. He can't do, but the point being is he also taught me twenty five things a game. But Jim Pete, Jim Pete to me now has evolved into the entire package. I think I agree he's with that. entertaining. I think he's likable. I know he teaches me things. I know that he. Here's another announcer trick that is very difficult, um, and the great ones develop it. I'm going to try to describe it to you, and and I'm curious what you think of this. The great ones develop the trick of criticizing and being annoyed with the home team or, on the flip side, celebrating their accomplishments without ever coming off as a homer. So they can walk that line, but you know when things aren't going bad that they want the Wolves to win or the yeah. North Stars back in the day or the Wild. I'm okay with, with a sliver of homerism. I, I, I am I too. I don't, a I don't need like unabashed, like right. you'll never criticize anyone. But, that that but, bothers but, me. But Jim Pete does a great job of criticizing the Wolves, but he's not doing it to rip the Wolves. He's doing it because he wants them to win. That's yeah. a that's a really fine line. He's so, trying to urge them in the direction. Jim sure. Jim Pete is one. My second one is before your time, but in the booth he was just off the charts, phenomenal. Again, entertaining and told you a ton of stuff, and still works games nationally. I believe for MLB Network to this day, Jim Cott, Jim Cott, and Ted Robinson in the MSC booth, circa, and I guess they couldn't stand each other, which is hilarious. That's funny. But in the booth, Jim Cott, man, and he could do play-by-play. Yeah. But again, he consistently, in an entertaining fashion, told you things that you didn't know. Yeah. Uh, my third one, this might this might be a little bit weird because he works packages of games. Um, but he hasn't played for a long, long time. He used to appear on this show, but he still is up-to-date with the game. The Miguel Sano Whisperer, Roy Smalley. He's uh, he's excellent. I, I just I think he's phenomenal. He's on your Mount Rushmore. He's on it because because here because here's the thing, Morneau and and Romo and guys like that are good partially because they just got done playing. Roy Smalley has been removed from the game of baseball for years, and you really wouldn't know it. You know, Bert Bert got sort of stale in some ways because Bert had been removed from the game, and you could sort of tell. Yeah. That he had been away. So Jack Small- Morris is the same way. Jack Morris openly talks about how he doesn't watch baseball anymore. <laughs> right, but but Roy never does that. Roy yeah. celebrates the game still. Um, and then and then my my fourth one is going to to violate the longevity rule that you have. But my God, was he fun! The brief time, the brief flirtation that we had in this town with Kevin McHale on Wolves games. Oh man, he actually was really good. Okay, he I is can't. Really good. He is. He was so. And you know what? In retrospect, I just wish he had stayed in that role. Like I wish, and I and he did some good things initially when he ran the Wolves. But man, he was fun. And and he and he and Harlan had so much fun. And it was like going. It was like they had invited you to their party. And you were in the corner just watching him. Yeah. So Jim Pete, Jim Cott, Smalley, and McHale, which probably surprised you because, no, I did not pick a hockey guy because I don't know that there's a hockey analyst that I have heard who I would put on that Mount Rushmore. No Mike Greenlay for you? No, I'm sorry. I can't do that for Mike Greenlay. Okay. Uh, my, my Mine is is the graphic. I'm sticking with the graphic. It's Burp Levin, Jim Peterson, yep. Doug Woog. And I'm not the biggest hockey guy, but I grew up on Doug Woog throughout the 90s. I mean, that was like the era of hockey that I, in the early 2000s, 
as, as the coach and then the and then the analyst after he was sure. uh, done coaching. And then Trent Tucker, the first wave of, of Timberwolves success. Trent Tucker yeah. on Timberwolves radio broadcast with Chad Hartman. Yeah. Just like, throw it down, big fella. Like, he was just amazing. He had all these Trent Tuckerisms too. Yes. And he would get so excited. And so those are the ones. The other ones I threw on here just for fun, like, yeah. There's no Vikings TV analysts, really, because like only the preseason games are local. So it's tough. On the radio, Pete Bursich has been, what, 15, almost 15 years or something now? Yeah. Uh, Joe Sensor before that. Mike Morris spent a year as the analyst. I don't know that I would put Pete Bursich over Burt. Longevity is there. But I think when you think of that broadcast booth, you think Paul Allen first, yeah. second, and third. And then you think Pete Bursich. Yeah. So And Bursich is really good. But I, I would, I don't think I would put him in my Mount Rushmore of four here. Dan Gladden deserves some consideration for longevity, but um, and and I would, I would say this to Dan Gladden. I consider Dan Gladden uh, a friend. Dan Gladden, when he's given the three innings of play by play, doesn't tell me what's happening enough. Like I, he'll, like it'll be. I think sometimes he feels like he's watching. Like we're all watching on TV or something, and it'll be. And there's a fly ball to left. And that ball's gone. Like, yeah. <laughs> like oh, that's a tough. Dan, but but a that's more. a tough job. Yeah. But if he was just but as the far color as, yeah. commentator, which he used I, I to like be, Dan Gladden, which yep. he used to be, yes, for sure. But he's knocking on the door too of the of the Mount Rushmore. So yeah, he's been around now for twenty years. Hmm. Should we break a, wow. a baseball game down like it's football, football real quick before yeah. we get to Doogie? Yeah, let's do it. I got some notes. Yes, this will be kind of an abbreviated version just because Doogie's going to come in here. But um, Josh Donaldson, yep. I told you on yesterday's show. That the Twins will win the World Series if Josh Donaldson and Jose and and Byron Buxton are both healthy and playing. Buxton mm-hmm. had the night off last night because they're, they're coddling him. And they get yeah, and he gets today off because they're off yeah. again today before they play two games on Friday. But Donaldson yes. comes in, he laces two hits to center field, drives in two runs just right away. Yep, I'm worried about his calf every time he does anything. And running to second base, I got really yep. skittish because he was being skittish. Yep. Yep, and he's and he's wide open about how like ah mentally I'm just like ah, I'm kind of nervous about the calf, but I mean that game last night, it's amazing the difference 48 hours can make from closed door team meeting manager saying what he's going to say and and the Twins losing six in a row to 48 hours later they've got two of their best players back they just drubbed the White Sox took two out of three and it's like okay you can breathe easy Tigers lost like okay. Everything's good. Did, did you see the White Sox defense last night? Speaking of uh, breaking no, uh, baseball I, down like football, I did on the. I saw it on the back of a milk carton. Wow, it's missing. Wow. Um, all right, I'm going to p- pick out for my player to focus on from last night's game, Jose Barrios, who pitched very well, and um, probably he's made two. I think he's made two really good starts, including last night this summer so far. Um, Barrios made a comment to. Marnie Gellner on the Zoom post-game Zoom call that I found to be very intriguing, and I think we might be getting to sort of the bottom of what's going on here, Phil Mackey. Hmm. So, Brias, at one point in time, I think when he came out of the game in the dugout, they, they must have had a shot of him on the camera, got emotional, and I guess he was, like, really into it and emotional. And she asked him about that, and he said, yeah, there's been something going on at home, and I didn't, I don't want to bring it into to the clubhouse because we're supposed to be upbeat and happy here. Um, but that had to do with that and it didn't mm-hmm. get followed up on. But anyway, uh, then in Rocco's call or in Rocco's zoom presser, he brought up, he brought up something going on with Barrios at home as well. Okay. All right. You know, you know, the Zolgad rule, right? The Zolgad rule is we can never, these guys are human and we can never 
underestimate the effect of if there's something going on with, you know, your girlfriend, your wife, your kids, your parents. We can never dismiss that. But like they don't. I know people say they make millions. Turn it off. No, you can't. All right. Um, I wonder if Barrios opened up the door to a certain point to something that has been possibly going on for weeks here. Because, you know, people get sick. It's COVID. Who knows? Yeah, and, that and would I make sense. I don't know. But his mind, he has seemed to me, Phil, to be a very distracted pitcher. That would make sense. Like, this is supposed to be the year, and again, this is just a weird year for everything and everybody, but this was supposed to be the year, age-wise, experience-wise, where he was going to put everything together. And for him to come out and just kind of be flighty and can't locate and... Do you know the game that's a tip to this now, in retrospect? Pittsburgh, where he threw 40 pitches in the first like inning and two thirds. And he was okay. And Pittsburgh stinks. But I think your point was, dude, it's Pittsburgh. Just go shove like it's the Pirates. Just throw fastballs on the middle. Yeah. Who cares? And your point was, it's frustrating to see him laboring against a bad team when the Twins have given him run support. Yeah. But if you're not mentally there, that's going to be tougher. Yeah. Um, That would make some sense. And it would actually like this is going to sound terrible, but. Because I hope that there's nothing bad happening in his personal life. Yeah. Now, I don't know. Is it like, is there a pregnancy? Or, I, 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 don't, I, I have no idea. And Zero they didn't idea. say. But like, it would actually make you feel a little bit better about his performance and that, oh, okay, understandable. There's something that's distracting him. And and last night he looked more like that was his second best start of the season. Like last night was what he should look like on a more regular basis. And um, And he was like that breaking ball last night. I want to say that five of the eight strikeouts came on that curveball, yeah. and um, and he was making those guys. Now, those there's a couple hitters in that lineup, Eloy Jimenez, that will absolutely chase a pitch yes. in the left-handed batter's box. But good on him. Like, throw that pitch and make those guys chase. Aaron Judge isn't going to swing at that, but Eloy Jimenez will for at least the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, so they got Jose Barrios uh, back in the mix as well. Football. <laughs> on the bad news front, two more injuries to note. Luis Arise and Max Kepler. Yeah. Max Kepler, some sort of a groin issue, uh, left groin tightness. And Arise was what a, an ankle or something? No, it's this it's this bad knee that that I guess he came out of a summer camp uh, scrimmage. Okay, and it kept him out of a couple games. I want to say in Kansas City a few weeks back. And it's it's weird because the Twins ordinarily coddle in situations like that, but he keeps coming back and he keeps aggravating it. He's also, uh, Luis has just had a rough week in general. Like, he had the big hit. I blame you. You're in his head now. That last night, man, he just dropped the ball, the yeah. ground ball. Yeah, so he botches the grounder. And here, all right, here's my Luis Arise take now. Yep. I think we saw peak Luis Arise last year. Some guy like Lou Ford peaked right away. Mm-hmm. Doug Minkiewicz peaked right away. Mm-hmm. I think Luis Arise peaked right away. doesn't mean he can't be a quality major league player. But when you think about like five tool players, like Mike Trout's a five tool player. He's got speed, power, glove, right? Well, Arise is starting minus two tools. He doesn't have any power and he doesn't have any speed. At least he does. He's not as slow as like Jim Tomey, but he does. He's not going to steal bases. Or Marwin. Yeah, but he's he's not he's not fast, and so he's not yeah. going to be a tear on the base paths. Yeah. So if he's not hitting for big time average and big time on base percentage, yeah. And if he's not playing pristine defense in the field, then he's a he's a bench player in the major leagues, especially on a good team. Mm-hmm. So he needs to be impeccable at all the other things that aren't power and speed for him to be a regular on a good team. And he hasn't he hasn't been checking those boxes yet this season. He's shown you flashes, and he definitely has had a couple big hits here and there. Yep. 
but he's not he's not doing the things in the categories that he can control to to be a guy that I would say, yep, that's that's a five year guy in the middle of my infield, and I'm gonna and I would look to maybe trade prospects at those positions. But what's the one thing we always talk about this too? When when guys like that come up and have success in the big leagues, pitching's going to adjust to him. Like teams are just going to adjust. And then the the most important question and and the answer is not yes all the time. The most important be- question becomes: Can you adjust back? And yeah. some and some guys can't, and some guys can sort of, but not fully. So, I think the cautionary tale about arise here again also is probably this: If a guy bursts upon the scene, and, and we all say, "Who the heck?" There's probably a reason for that. That's a good point. Like we got all excited about, oh my god, we've never heard of it. Well, there's probably a reason why, and so we probably have to let that play out then. Hundred percent. For way, way more than a season. Yep. Like if you weren't on a Baseball America top 100 prospects list and all the different scouts and analytics people that would be looking at these players, if you didn't crack a list or you weren't highly touted, it doesn't mean that you can't be a quality major league player because like Eddie Rosario was never like a top 10 prospect. He was a good prospect. Uh, Ryan Ryan Jeffers, I don't think has cracked a top 100 list, but he might be a good major league player. But Luis Ortiz broke in, and it was like, whoa, this guy's like a batting champion caliber player. Crew, yeah. Or he is just playing at the peak of his capabilities. And actually, the the king of this category. Do you remember a guy named Jeff Francoeur for the Atlanta Braves like 15 years ago? Remember him? I owned him in my roadie league oh my with God. the Braves. He, he is, was he, he was great when I owned him. I want to look him up real quick because if I remember right, I he, think he's now an analyst on Fox Sports in Atlanta. Okay, so he yeah his and 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 to his credit, like it was actually a, a kind of a two or three year run for him. Yeah, he was good. But that guy came out of the gate and hit like thirty bombs right away um, and hit for some average. But then the rest of his career was mostly spent just trying to sort of stay above the three hundred on base mark, and he never he was never able to rekindle it. That's probably the extreme example. What's your read on Jorge Polanco? Um, I think Jorge Polanco, I think his upside is a tier two shortstop. Like, I don't think he has Xander Bogart's upside. I don't think, I don't think he's ever going to be regarded as like a top, top shortstop or if he moves to second base. I think he's a good, solid major league player. Harder to replace than a first baseman, a left fielder, a right fielder. You can do worse than Jorge Polanco, and he and 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 he keeps the chains moving. He's a he's a good solid player, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's ever going to be like that. The first half of the, was if the first half of last season yeah. he was playing at an MVP clip. That, like that's the best you're going to see him. Okay. I don't think he's going to be able to do that for a full season ever. But but I would not be actively if I if it was between Luis Arise and Jorge Polanco. Which one would you put money on to be like a five-year franchise player at his position? Right. Ten times out of ten, Jorge Polanco. I, I trust him over Luis Arise. So do, do you think that uh, potentially long-term here, do you think Luis goes to short, Polanco to second, Arise out? Or what What would you do if Royce Lewis progresses as he should? Um, I, I think Arise is just sort of like becomes a utility player. Like he takes the Marwin Gonzalez role, sure. but as but I don't think you're going to put him in right field. But I think he takes the Marwin Gonzalez role, and then I think it just depends on who's the better defensive shortstop. You start there and put that guy at shortstop. I don't know. I don't know if Royce Lewis is a better defensive shortstop right now than Jorge Polanco in the major leagues. Neither one of them are like regarded as Ozzie or uh, Ozzie Smith. Like, um, and I think you just like both of those guys should have 
above average bats for their positions. But there's also a chance that Royce Lewis could wind up in the outfield at center field if Byron Buxton's not here long term. Because yeah. they were working him out there in the fall league and at parts last year. But um, interesting. I don't know. It's uh, you, put it this way: if Luis Arise is like one of your weak links, you have a pretty Football. damn good roster. That was a thorough breakdown. Yes, it was. I'm trying to see if there's anything else real quick here. Now nah, injuries. We can. There's going to be so much to react to from over the weekend here. Uh, the standings, real quick here. So the Twins had dipped to seventh before the two straight wins over the White Sox. Here are the American League standings. If the playoffs started today, the Rays would be the one seed. The A's would be the two seed. The Indians, the three seed, White Sox, the four, Twins, the five, and they are four games out of the one seed right now. Mm-hmm. Astros, the six, Yankees, the seven, Blue Jays, the eight at 19 and 16, and the Twins have to stay above the 17 and 17 Tigers, and they are currently three games up on the Tigers for that Who would the spot. Twins play if the playoffs open today? The White Sox. That'd be fun. First round matchup against the White Sox. I, w- I would sign up for that. That would be. A, I think the Twins would win the series, and I think it'd be a great series. I would much prefer the White Sox to Cleveland. I agree with that. I don't want White any Sox part of that Cleveland a little more pitching. vulnerable. Yes, yeah. it is. Who's that dude they threw out last night? Ronaldo that Lopez. Guy was a disaster. And how did the Twins not score a run in the first inning? Um, Partially because the home plate umpire you know was a disaster. He was. He he, he was. But if, if we're going to continue our comp of baseball to football, I would liken it to the Twins got to the five and Cousins uh, threw a back-footed pass that got picked off by the safety. Football. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was like... They were knocking on the door. But yes, that home plate... Oh, I mean, this might be the worst so far. If you were to break down Twins games and just go with bad balls and strikes, guys, we have seen, it feels like, a plethora of people who have... That guy had no clue back there. Yep. That was a disaster. Ryan, oh, wait, wait. I've got his name here. Bla- uh, Blackley. Blackley. Yeah. Blakely, Blackley. Yeah, like he that. was, uh, he had no clue. And and the guy at first base blew at least two calls. He he got an out that he called safe and a safe that he called an out. Shane Liversparger. Woo-hoo. Yeah, dude. That was a tough night for him, Robots, too. Robots, man. Uh, all right, let's get Doogie in here. Football. We got our guy Doogie in here from the Five Eyewitness News Sports Team. You can find his Scoop podcast also weekly on scorenorth.com, Apple, and Spotify. And Doogie, we got a million things to get into here with you, but let's actually start by going back to the trade deadline from a few days ago, the Major League Baseball trade deadline. The Twins make no moves. Um, I think we've we have been critical. Judd Judd hasn't really, I guess. I've been critical saying, I know that there's no one in your lineup that you're gonna you're not gonna find a hitter to like replace Donaldson like your lineup is sort of set and you're just hoping for health but there wasn't like a lefty reliever there wasn't there wasn't anybody out there Lance Lynn was it would have been an interesting one Judd swears he will never welcome Lance Lynn back in a twins uniform no, but I that won't. dude's been a great pitcher at every stop of his career except for his 20 games in Minnesota so anyways how close were they did they almost pull the trigger on something not from what I can gather. By the way, in Lance Lynn, they never came remotely close to actually completing a transaction okay. with Texas. The reason why John Morrissey, Joel Sherman, other national reporters attached the Twins to so many names is the Twins literally, I'm not making this up, checked in with every team. They like to have a price point on every possible player that's available. Yeah, Even players that did not get moved in the event that there is some sort of bargain out there. But like Joel Sherman, who I love, I think he does good work on MLB Network from the New York Post, he had the Twins in on Starling Marte, who, by the way, 
has a bunch of fans over at Target Field. He is a good player. He yes. had a mammoth home run the other day for the Marlins. He went from Arizona to Miami. The Twins were never trading for Starling Marte. I'm just telling you that. So, like, you see all these tweets with all these names attached to the Twins. No on Lynn, no on Marte. I do think they missed an opportunity to add some sort of reliever. You say a lefty reliever. How about just a really good reliever, like Archie Bradley from Arizona? I didn't think Cincinnati paid all that much. Now, a Twins official led me to believe that he thinks that deal between the Reds and the Diamondbacks came together very last second. And while we think the Reds got one heck of a deal because Bradley's under team control for another year, that the Diamondbacks really like an outfielder that was in that deal. I forget the guy's name. It's irrelevant for this conversation, but that we're underselling the outfield prospect that Arizona got. But I think that was a missed opportunity. I think Trevor Rosenthal was a missed opportunity. He goes from the Royals to the Padres. Yeah, do you have to maybe pay a little bit more in division? Maybe so, but I'm told the Twins were never really heavily involved in the Rosenthal talks. I thought those were the two transactions where I was like, man, missed opportunity. They checked in on Clevenger. They really like Trevor Bauer. Like, to me, Bauer is a name to watch this winter. But, he, he's but the not, Reds, I told you last week, the Reds were not trading Trevor Bauer. But isn't Trevor Bauer just, he's one-year contract guy, right? Isn't his, doesn't he have a bet with, like, one yes. of his old friends? Where if he's shot in the groin. If, if he signs a multi-year contract, it's a <laughs> with paintball pain, shot to the paintball, groin. Yeah. But even if you're the Twins, the window is still wide open in 2021 to win a World Series. Yeah. Are you anti, even though you would have to give up a draft pick, presumably the Reds... Make him a qualifying offer. He's the first. It's not like you're giving up the first pick in the draft. So I think you would give up the draft pick, even if it is a one-year deal, because I think there also would be a belief after that one year, you can re-sign him to another one-year deal. Okay, so Buxton just came back, but Kepler left last night's game, Doogie, with um, groin tightness. I the way that Kepler's been playing of late, I think something's wrong there too. Like he's just he's not all there, and I. Wonder if it goes beyond, you know, just a mental standpoint. So anyway, long story short, if you are going to have now a situation where the Twins are always very careful with players, and, you know, let's say that today or tomorrow, Kepler's going to be placed on the 10-day IL, are we at a point where you make the call not to a different state, but to a different city, St. Paul, and I will go pick these guys up, Larnick, Kirilov, Rooker. Reckless speculation. Because at some point in time, you got to pull the trigger here, right? If Kepler goes out, there's never going to be a better time. And by the way, Marwin Gonzalez can't play every inning of every game. No, he can't. And I mean, he's what, 0 for his last it, 12. He's being he asked can't to do run. Much. Now he had off-season surgery. Yeah. But like, uh, you look at Marwin and you're like, oof. Yeah, I know. He runs like I He'll do. be somewhere else next year. There's no reason to re-sign Marwin anyway, Gonzalez in the offseason. Is now the time that yeah, we're finally well, going to get Yeah, my opinion guys. is, yeah. And I don't even know which of the three. Like, to me, all three are ready. The reports are care. positive from CHS. But, yes, one of those three. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's a groin injury with Max. As you know, Judd, like, those can be re-aggravated. Yeah. Like, that can be a tricky injury. So, yeah, why not be conservative? They were overly conservative with, with Josh Donaldson. So, did you, yeah. What did you mean by, as you know, Judd, when referring to groin pulls? Because <laughs> I'm 50, and every day I wake up, something hurts, including my groin, numbness in my legs. Especially as Judd Heart knows, palpitations. <laughs> I got problems. Doogie is absolutely correct. My entire existence now, 
day to day. And you know what? If <laughs> Aren't a young, we all, Judd? If a young man could replace me, I think Dawn would be very happy about that. <laughs> I think she might be happy. So let's yeah. see Trevor Larnick. Okay? Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm waiting to hear a little bit more on Max. Some of his people are out in the West Coast, so we're talking here at what eleven forty five Central. I was. I was busy this morning with with actually some NHL guys. You'd be happy to hear that. And Rashad Bateman. So I've been bouncing all around this morning, but I've been meaning to text some people close to Max just to get a a better, you know, sense of of, you know, if this is a long-term injury. Yeah, and Louis Arise leaves early last night, but Max, what was it? Was it his knee? It was something like a week, week and a half Followed ago. Ball off his foot. Yeah, his foot. In Cleveland. You know, Monday night he drops that routine yeah. fly ball. Like, you're and last right. night he tried to make a diving catch and he didn't look right. It looked really weird. Something's going on there. Yeah. So, I mean, if he needs to go on the IL, he's out 10 days. You need to get one of those guys. All those guys are capable of playing right field. So, yeah, one of the three, absolutely. I'd be inclined, although with Donaldson now back and Buxton now back, you know, maybe the issues aren't as. Has magnified, you know, their issues hitting lefty pitching, but I would take a long look at Brent Rooker myself. Yeah, Rooker's the most major league ready right now. It's so hard to know because, like, these guys aren't, pl- they're, just, they're just playing scrimmages against each other. They're not playing actual baseball. So um, let's go into, there's, there's, there's so many more things to speculate on here. Let's go Timberwolves real quick. Reckless speculation. I know the last couple of weeks we've talked about what to do with the number one overall pick, but any 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 other nuggets or tidbits that you've gathered in terms of what the Wolves could look to do with the number one pick, or or names out there that could be available? We had Jay Williams on our show this last Tuesday, and we started throwing names out like Ben Simmons, and we got to Bradley Beal, and he goes, he literally salivated for like five minutes because Jay Williams is friends with Carl Anthony Towns, he knows Bradley Beal too. He's like, honestly, those two guys together would tear the league up and D'Lo on the roster. So he he's all Jay Williams is all aboard the get Bradley Beal in Minnesota bandwagon. What are what are your thoughts? Dude? I mean, I'd be all over that bandwagon too. I just don't know how realistic it is yeah. right now. Tommy Shepard runs the Wizards. He's of the mindset that he still wants to compete that he feels like, you know, with a move or two with John Wall back with Beal that they can be among the top 8 seeds in the Eastern Conference next year. So Maybe we're having a different conversation at the trade deadline next season, but I think right now, before next season starts, I just don't see Bradley Beal going anywhere. In terms of the number one pick, I'm told this isn't a surprise, but that the Wolves are doing the most homework, and it's not close, on LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. If there is a drop-off after that, if people are curious, on James Wiseman or some other guys, that the Wolves are doing a ton of background work on those two. If I had to handicap it, and it looks like the draft is being pushed back, by the way. So, yeah. you know, I was about to say handicap it seven weeks out. The draft might be nine or ten weeks out, so yeah. a lot can change. But if I had to handicap it right now, I think LaMelo Ball would be the pick. I just think as an asset. You know, that's the way Rosas thinks. You know, that's how one of his assistant GMs who helped create the ESPN trade machine yes. thinks. That these guys are assets. So you that's could take Ball now, and if you need to trade him soon thereafter... So be it. But who is the number one asset? Who is the guy that that would have the most trade value? If it's not now, later, I think that's LaMelo Ball. In fact, you know, just taking the temperature of multiple NBA executives, I'm not even quite sure it's all that close. Like, I think if you took a poll of 30 NBA executives, I think 20 to 25 would tell you, just as an asset, over the next 6 to 12 to 18 months, you would take LaMelo Ball. In fact, let me read a text from a Western Conference executive because I had this conversation with this individual. Reckless speculation.
Generation. We're not on camera, by the way, right? I just don't want to see this name. No, we are not. Anywhere. Jerry no, Boss. We're, we're old school today. Jerry Boss. Ball all the way. Length. Passing is off the charts. The confidence you like to see with a point guard. He plays zero defense. So the coach would need to get that out of him. But as an asset, you take LaMelo Ball. Hey, for the record, a lot of guys who play zero defense. So James Harden has been like, you know, suspect number one in terms of play zero defense. You watched James Harden at the end of last night's game. That was a heck of a play. When these dudes want to play defense and it's, you know, game seven of the playoff series, a lot of these guys will just play defense when it matters. And that takes a special skill set, by the way, you know, instincts wise and just to not foul. Like the way he came, that angle he came at Mm -hmm. Dort. To block that shot, yeah. Like you think about Giannis at the end of the Miami Milwaukee game, you know, making contact with Jimmy, and Giannis is the defensive player of the year. Like I'm just telling you, for James to make that play, you still can't call that. But yeah, Giannis. Got, I was it, 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 I was blown away. I'm with you. You don't you don't make that call. Boy, there's like back to back. Some these referees don't understand the role at the end of these playoff games. Okay, if get it's egregious, call it. Otherwise, get out of the way. Let Jimmy Butler, you know, put a shot up and see what happens. By the way, on Dort who hadn't made a three. I mean, he literally had, but he had missed so many threes throughout the playoffs, but he was an undrafted guy out of Arizona State, but was a good player in the Pac-12. The Wolves, when thinking about should you have confidence in this front office when it comes to, to drafting? Now, in their defense, they came in late in the process, right, last year. It was not a, a, a long process that, that resulted in Jarrett Culver. You know, they wanted Garland, couldn't get up there. Garland goes five to Cleveland. They end up with Culver. Then they take Noel, who I think has a chance. He's still young. He was the Pac-12 player of the year. I still think Jalen Noel has a chance. Just give him an opportunity. Then Nas Reed. They got Nas Reed as an undrafted free agent. That was a savvy move. But, like, it looks like a swing and a miss on Jarrett Culver, right? Like, if you go back, you'd want Tyler Hero, who's been great. For Miami, including he was great in in Game Two against uh, Milwaukee in that victory. But like you look at just process from last year, again, albeit you know it, it wasn't a full year, but you start to wonder. Okay, you know the the pressure's on this front office to get this draft right because it doesn't look like they got the draft right last year. But on Dort, they did not have him as a drafted player on their board. Interesting. Bowl bowl was not a draftable player on their board. Really? Who looks like, you know, Denver got a steal. He went the pick before Jalen Noel in the second round. Yeah, I'm just telling you, you know, so there were some, so there were some attitude red flags. Like on Hero, they had a red flag on Hero because of his dad. Which, have you heard a thing about Tyler Hero's dad? There was something years ago when he was an oral commit to Wisconsin. He's from the state of Wisconsin. He had committed to to play for Wisconsin, then changed, ends up at Kentucky. You know, so going back multiple years, there were some people that thought maybe Dad had had some influence in in that decision. Yeah, but otherwise, have you heard anything mm. about Tyler Hero's dad? Mm. Yet the Wolves well, how had can you take the ball a red if- flag, a, a check. On the negative side, when when analyzing Tyler Hero, how can you take the ball kid then if you're worried about the parents? Well, <laughs> on bowl, it was just it was some no ball. Some, Oh, Lamelo. Yeah, well, Lamelo. Because that's an asset. That's just an man. asset you can't. Um, and by the way, yeah. there are some people that think that that Dad's been put in his place enough that that there's well, this he's personal coach. Down. Yeah, Jermaine Jackson, who used to coach at Detroit Mercy. Yep. He played in the NBA. Had a cup of coffee. That that he's gotten into 
Mr. Ball's ear, some other people, sure. the agent Raymond Brothers has gotten into Ball's ear to to at least calm him down enough. But yeah, legitimate comeback, what you just offered up. I need your help on Big Ten football, Donald Trump, Kevin Warren. <laughs> what What is the confidence uh, at the University of Minnesota that we are now going to start Big Ten football sooner than later? Because the president seems very confident. I, however, saw nothing in the statement from the Big Ten saying they shared the confidence of the confidence of the president that we're going to start in October. What is what's the reality of how the Gophers feel about when we're going to start the football season for well, the Big Ten? Depending on who you talk to, I can tell you there is enough support. Can't tell you it goes all the way up to President Gable, which but is important. That is very important, but there certainly is support if you go over to Athletes Village, right? About starting sooner rather than later. But this is my fear: is that like I can be a coach and pound the table all I want, and my president will tell me to shut up and sit down, and I have to shut up and sit down. Like that. This is where I'm confused because I covered Kevin enough to know that he's a very smart guy. And Kevin Warren will tell you what you want to hear and do a very good job of convincing you that you heard it. The president is one who I think probably doesn't listen as well as he should. So he just talks about starting and Kevin would have been the perfect foil. You know, Kevin would be really. It just seems to me like this week was all about a lot of Mr. President, you are the greatest ever. Goodbye. And he thinks you're going to start. And then, you know, guys like the Nebraska coach, Scott Frost, like, yeah, we're going to start now or Jim Harbaugh. Um, I just think that there lo- there might have been a lot of smoke here, and I'm curious if there was if there is fire up to the presidents, who obviously are the most important. Well, I mean, there's some buzz about some sort of vote taking place as soon as later this week, which okay. would be I don't think they do it Saturday, so tomorrow, just to take the temperature of the presidents and chancellors. I'll add this on on the president's phone call with Commissioner Warren. It just reeks of these are a lot of battleground states, right? Yes. When thinking about early November. Minnesota, battleground state. Michigan, battleground state. Go up and down the Big Ten. How many battleground states are there? Right? It's not like the president is reaching out to the Pac-12, right? Like no, We I know that the president him. is not winning California. <laughs> I don't think he's called the Pac-12. So there's no reason to involve, right? So he's, just, he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to sway like Ohio State fans. Oh, he, the president got football you know back. It's he's hard trying. not to, as, yeah. as a skeptic by nature, <laughs> it's hard for me not to go down that path. You're probably right. It just reeks of, I can win some votes. If I can get the Big Ten back on the field... Before election day, God. I will sway some people. And all right, I, I don't want to get political here, but imagine like whoever you vote for, whether it's this election or 15, 20 years ago, if your vote hinges on whether or not the football season starts on time, do you know you're what, an idiot. Do you but, know what I want Trump to do? I want Trump to be as big a fan of Maction as most, because that's what we're really going to miss. Yeah, let's Force get, the Mac to start so we can watch Thursday night games. I'm bored on Tuesdays. Give me that Maction back. Yeah. Oh, it is sad, though. I mean, the Gophers were supposed to open. I know. I think it was a day game. Like, I think they were supposed to be playing literally right this second or like in an hour. Really? Yeah. Was ESPN going to run just like 24 hours of college football games or something? I think that was the plan, right? But wasn't September 3rd? Going back to their original schedule, wasn't September 3rd? I have to look. The wow. opener? I was with Rashad Bateman. How about that for a name drop this morning? Nice. And I thought I'd heard some buzz. You know, we were making the, the comparison of, you know, normal circumstances. You wouldn't be here in this gym with me here interviewing you. You know, because he would have played his third year with the Gophers yeah. if COVID doesn't happen. Am I wrong on that? Um, I don't know. I don't, Judd, do you have this Was it Gophers against Florida Atlantic? 
September 3rd? Oh, you know what? I've got the revised Big Ten okay. schedule that they put out for COVID, so I don't have the well, original it, it, it is a Thursday. It would have been a Thursday, yeah. so I think you're right. Oh, that's hilarious, was, they, their season Yeah, just and they've opened call. up on Thursdays going yeah. back you're multiple right. years. You're right. Interesting. Was it September 3rd? I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, let me ask you this uh, about the – because I want to bounce to Viking stuff here too, dudes. <laughs> what do you know about the strong arming of Brian O'Neill? Like, were the Vikings actually willing to cut him and – I'm sorry, I, I meant Riley Reef and move Brian O'Neill to left tackle and move Rashad Hill into the starting role at right tackle like on the eve of the regular season? Were they literally willing to do that to their offensive line? They are the gift that keeps on giving, right? Just when we think there may not be a storyline with the purple, they provide all sorts of fodder. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, and, I mean, Gosh. there were teammates that thought it was it was over, that Riley was was going to get released – you know, but then his agent Neil Cornrich shops around, realizes just the money is not there. That the money he'll make now, the contract will be filed at some point later today. You know, so we'll have the official numbers here soon. I don't have the official numbers for for this year, but he took a pay cut. But the money he'll make here is more than he could have made anywhere else. So I can tell you, a lot of people over in Egan are grateful that he made the decision. They weren't sure he was going to make that decision. But that he made the decision, so they're able to complete the Ngakwe trade, and they have their second-best offensive lineman back. We can debate all the faults that Riley Reef has, but make no mistake. I mean, when ranking you know, the skill sets of these offensive linemen, it's Brian O'Neill 1 and Riley Reef is 2. Maybe that's more an indictment on other guys, the Garrett Bradburys of the world, the Pat Elflines, but... Riley Reef is their second most important offensive lineman, so they are grateful that he's back. That's exactly right. And and so here's my question off of that. Assuming that the cap is almost certainly going to come down because of the pandemic in 2021, Dukes, and the floor might go as low, I think, as $175 million. What are the moves now for 21? Anthony Harris is going to be gone for sure, right? I think Harris is gone. But like, is Cook now just going to be gone? Well, I think they could use the franchise tag on Cook. But they might have to use it on Ngakwe. At the cost of, well, I think the plan is to sign Ngakwe to a long-term deal. But then they're going to have to make Hunter happy. They, well, there may be some ways around that. But I think, like, Anthony Barr. Look at Anthony Barr's dead money. They could make a move there. Okay. And I think there's some others. I I don't have over the cap in front of me right here, but... Anthony Barr is one that comes to mind that I do wonder if Anthony Barr is on this roster. How do you get around from now? How do you get around the Hunter equation? Because if you give Ngakwe a rich new deal, Hunter's going to definitely come to you and threaten not to show up, and, well, and he's not wrong. Yeah, although I just don't know if that's in his DNA. I just don't know. Like he's got the cars. He loves. I mean, he loves his cars. He's got his cars. Let me show you my wallet right yeah. here. Because well. It's on, I mean, Hunter, here's what's in my DNA, hey, baby. What's Anthony Harris pocket? is now making more money than Harrison Smith. No, I know. If but... you were Harrison Smith, why not boycott right this second saying, I'm the more important safety. I should be making more money than Anthony Harris. Now, they have the same agency, so there's your answer that you know the agency is able to massage that right. that situation. But I'm just saying, if you're Harrison Smith, you, that's could, a one-year contract, you could play dudes. that card right now. But that's for one year. If if Daniil sees Ngakwe get rewarded, that's long-term. That's my difference. That's where well, I'm going to say I need to get paid too. In the More. in the 2021, you know, COVID cap era, that it does go down to what 175. Are you sure that Ngakwe is going to make 15, 16, 17 million dollars a year? Interesting. It's juicy. Yeah. Uh, you got some rapid fire scoops for us. You, you are right. The gift that keeps 
giving is the perfect way to term the Vikings. And nothing new, by the way, on the Dalvin Cook situation. Okay. Now, it could all change with one phone call, sure. but they have not made any new offer. Sure. There, there's just been no dialogue to this point. I'll be curious to see, you know, how Dalvin, next time he talks to us, handles that with, you know, the opener next week. Like, you look at Alvin Kamara doesn't show up for multiple days. Now there's talk of maybe New Orleans making him an offer in the four-year, $48 million range. You look at Jamal Adams, throws a hissy fit, right? Gets his way, gets traded by the Jets to the Seahawks. You look at Stephon Diggs, even some of those cryptic tweets right before he got dealt to Buffalo. Like, if you're Dalvin, Mm -hmm. you know, should you be a pain in the ass and throw something out there, at least on social media, just to create... You know some waves, but he's he's been a good soldier so far. But yeah, there's just there's nothing new on on the Dalvin Cook contract extension front. Daniel Oturu, former Gopher, NBA draft prospect, draft interviews recently with the Wizards and Cleveland Cavaliers. Trey Jones, Apple Valley's own, a recent draft interview with the Chicago Bulls. I was told wait until you see the Trey Jones athleticism numbers that he's been training mm, out in Santa Barbara. Interesting at this at this sports science facility P three. That wait until you see his vertical, just some of the things, some of the combine testing numbers. Like, I think we're underselling the athlete that Trey Jones is. Shot the ball well as a sophomore at Duke. And, I mean, that defense is NBA-ready right now, like, to a high level. Also, I'll just tell you, a lot of NBA executives will tell you, like, from 15 to 40, this draft, there really isn't that much of a difference. You know, so Trey Jones, I think, has a chance to go in that 15 to 23-ish range. 24 range but yeah i mean somebody like zeke Naji may not go until pick 35 but you can make a case zeke Naji from hopkins the pac-12 freshman of the year would be worthy of going as high as you know 15 to 20 so that's the strength of this draft like 15 to 40 it's not strong at the top it's not super deep i mean you'll find some some guys that have a chance as undrafted free agents but the real strength of this draft is between like pick 15 to 20 and pick 40 Reckless speculation. Also, I was with Alex Stalock and Jake Gensel this morning. They were in the gym with with Rashad Bateman over in Woodbury. Both those guys think December 1st, but they're up in the air when next NHL season will start. And I was talking to Alex, like Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals could be as late as what, Judd? Like mid-October? Yeah, yes. And December 1st with training camps beginning, it just... You know, they Alex also, and Jake both said, yeah, we're hearing December 1st, they're also but like, logically it doesn't make a lot of sense. That there can't be fans, and would, would they go back into a bubble? But if you go into a bubble, you're not making money, and that's how the NHL makes its money. Correct. Alex said um, the NHL needs fans in the building. It's only It ma- works for the NFL. It doesn't work for the NHL. It's only a matter of time, I would guess, before the uh, 2021 Winter Classic is postponed. Oh, yes. Yeah. They ain't playing a target field on, yeah. on Jan 1. Zero chance that there's a hockey game at target field. Well, welcome to the <laughs> NHL super spreader event. <laughs> That's right. We said super spreader. Come watch the Blues in a while and leave with COVID. Coming up next, the NHL has the greatest super spreader event in COVID history. The Blues and Wild, where you'll see great hockey and get a hell of a virus to boot. That's next on NBC. Can I get in two more quick notes? Sure, go ahead. The Booth Gotch (laughs) waiver, that's a slam dunk. The Gophers still need to, to put it through, but Booth Gotch is going to be eligible for the Gopher basketball team this upcoming season, assuming that there is some semblance of of a season. And add this name to the Wolves and Lynx sale mix. This is per Bloomberg or Sportico, one of the the sports business websites. This is not my own original reporting. You ready for this name? 
Browns owner Jimmy no. Haslam. No. Browns no. owner Jimmy Haslam is exploring buying Glenn. the Wolves and the Lynx. Glenn. <laughs> Hold on. There we go. <laughs> what? If that happens, what? I hope they it's move It's not to a Seattle. done deal. He's just another name to add to the public no. mix. There are names out there that we don't know. But to keep it? You uh, can't do it. Never mind. No. Honestly, my head just blew up. I love how here's the best part, and oh. I get that like this is just speculation, and it's it, it, he's not like the favorite, but it would be amazing if Glenn Taylor, who is as nice of a guy as he is, he is one of the worst professional sports owners of the past twenty twenty five years. If he would somehow find the only other guy that is worse, <laughs> like that's really like he's literally the only other guy that is worse. I mean, Daniel Strauss, E. Strauss could still end up with the team. His exclusive negotiating window is now expired. They have not reached a deal, but it's not like he's out of the Has picture. Has Donald Sterling called yet? Yeah. No. <laughs> Try to get back in. Let's get him back in. Yeah, I think there's a better chance that Mr. Hubbard buys the uh, the Wolves. And <laughs> hey, he's you know not what? an NBA he, guy. He'd do a good job, than, at least. Then Donald Sterling having approval to, to re enter the NBA. Is he even alive? I don't even know if Donald Sterling is still alive. Yeah, who knows? Not, yeah. All right, whatever. You can find Doogie on 5 Eyewitness News, KSTP.com, and also the Scoop Podcast, Apple, Spotify, and Scornarth.com. Dukes, thanks for coming in, man. Take it yeah. easy, boys. Have All a good right. weekend. That's Stay a wrap safe. On this episode of Mackie and Judd, we will see you guys for Action Movie Rewind tomorrow.